welcome to the Fan Engagement Pod. This episode takes a stark look at what it's like in the middle of a crisis with Adam Keeley from Oldham Athletic Activist Group, Push the Boundary. It was recorded in mid-December before the owner, Abdullah Lemsagam, publicly declared his intention to sell. And we're talking at this stage at the 13th of January 2022. Although given the litany of broken promises, I suspect fans are holding their breath. Adam talks us through what it's been like organising against the club he loves, why he fears managed decline and what it's like trying to unite the fan base when the team is devoid of identity and bottom of the table. We also talk about what it's like to go 30 years without a trophy or any promotion, which is where comparisons with their former top flight opponents, Everton, cease. Presenter Kev, that's me, also touches on the failures of leadership and why it's important for owners to keep their promises. One message I have for Adam's fellow Oldham fans is remain united. Find out more about our work at fanengagement.net. Register for free and you can get access to the Fan Engagement Hub with more detailed data and case studies from the 2018, 19 and 1920 Fan Engagement Indexes. The new one is out in the next month or two. Please keep an eye on all our channels. Like, subscribe and share. It really does help our visibility in a crowded podcast world. Adam, um, we've not met before. We've kind of been communicating on and off for a little bit of time trying to set this up. Um, I did have, when I published the Fan Engagement Index for the first time um, and the second time, the response from some Oldham fans was, um, well, how on earth did we do so well? (laughs) (laughs) And look, I'm not some, as people who know me would attest, I'm not someone to hide um, and pretend that, you know, it wasn't me that got it wrong, Gov, because it was right. Um, the index gave a snapshot of the structure, you know, and there's a director at Oldham through the trust, we trust Oldham, all that sort of stuff. A lot of stuff was there. What it showed, as far as I'm concerned, is a rare example where it's not just box ticking going on, but actually um, the need that we always ensure that accountability is a regular thing and that you can have structures, but they don't get used. Now, that's a classic example because we're witnessing currently something that I think I think is um, uh, I don't know what was going on there, but um, that I think is arguably worse than anything. Um, poss- I think it's possibly arguably worse than Berry um, in many respects because there is not a mere falling out going on between the owners of the football club. I don't want to go on too much about them if I can help it. This is about I want to talk. talk you know, not 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 about their motives and all that sort of stuff. I want to talk about the fan base and the disconnection a, a lot more. Um, but it's arguably a, a bigger problem because there's a there's a sort of it's just a really deep fissure between um, club and fans. It strikes me that from what I've read and what I know that there's a lot of denial on the part of the owners, and if there isn't denial, then it comes across as denial. Um, so you know. It's the same thing. Um, and then the interesting bit being as well that there, although I know you were saying before we started, there's a there is there are some arguments amongst fans. That's always normal in these circumstances. I've directly experienced it. I've experienced it by you know by association in a lot of cases in my old job. There's a lot of unity there as well, because both push the boundary, who've been around for a couple of years and did contact me about the results of the first index table, I recall. 
and Trust Oldham have been around since around 2004-05 um, and held the directorship and hold the directorship of the football club, um, are very clear on this issue and both united on it, which is really, I think it's one positive thing. It's a good start when you're running a campaign like this. So what's it, what's it like being in that? I mean, there's a lot of people who won't know what the tumult is like when it's like this. But what's it like for you trying to lead um, fans? And now you are trying to lead fans. It's what groups do. It's what groups are going to do. What's it like trying to lead people in this uh, set of circumstances? It's really tough, heart-wrenching at times. Yeah, it's, it has been difficult. Um, obviously, it's well-documented, the issues that we've had with the owner um, over the last couple of years. And um, even to a point where the trust now called Foundation Oldham have rebranded themselves under new directors and um, got themselves a new mandate. Even before they rebranded, we were bickering between ourselves, even the, the fans groups, which is obviously always going to be a difficult start, but both groups are now on side together and engaging properly and having honest conversations which is a massive start but the issue that's deep rooted is the ownership and I think the majority of supporters now are on board with the idea that they don't want the owner to remain they'd like him to leave however with us being second bottom of the league it's now a position where fans are a little bit concerned that we should be in the ground supporting the players to try and boost us up that table. Um, the issue is the players that we've got aren't good enough. Um, and that's purely down to the owner and his brother. The brother is the director of football at Oldham, who has got no previous football experience in England. So it, it's difficult. And considering we've been through 10 changes in um, head coach, manager, roles um, it's difficult to see him still in a role when the club's in a position that it is with him still thinking that he's doing a good job it is difficult yeah and that um, I remember you know and it, and it always is the, the, the player fan connection when there's a crisis like this when it's whether it's manufactured or you know whether it's kind of self-inflicted self-manufactured in this as it is in in this case clearly or whether it's you know a crisis that's just emerged over time you know and it might not be the exact fault of the people in charge at that moment that the thing you really want at that moment as fans is to feel like you and the players are as one i mean you can do it the fan base i find yeah bickering aside which will always happen and the fact you've got unity there between the two major groups is great but i find that the really tough bit is to make sure, or the really important bit is to make sure that even if you're having to protest, even if you're having to do things you don't like in relation to match day and stuff, is that players understand. And when you've then got, it's not like you've got a squad of, you know, 21, 22, 23 young players who all really put in the effort in, they're all local boys, or, you know, they've been through the academy system that you've got, or they've, you know, maybe come back and, you know, got a connection with the air, whatever it is. You know, that's so much easier than if you've then got a load of journeymen footballers. They're not even journeymen footballers. In your case, a load of um, semi-pro 
French journeymen footballers who with the greatest wood in the world have no connection with the club itself. And it's, it's hard. So you went ahead and did something that is really very radical. I don't think people ever quite understand how radical um, refusing to attend a match is, but I always, um, and I've always done it since it happened. Um, uh, the um, I always bring up the spirit of, of Shankly Spine Cop 1906 walkout on 77 at Anfield, where 10, 15,000 Liverpool fans left the ground. For them to have done that was an extraordinary act. And to get, you know, a third or a quarter of all those who were attending the match to walk out at, at that time was an incredible thing. At Wimbledon, we, we toyed with that idea when, when, when we were running our campaign. And we didn't do it because we feared that people just wouldn't support it. So it's got, A, it's got really bad to do that, but B, the fact that you managed to get, I mean, you know, in the end, I think there was about estimated one and a half odd thousand in the ground. That's quite, a, that's quite something. And I know that not everyone felt comfortable with it. And some said, I just can't do that anymore. So you kind of pulled back. But that statement was a hell of a statement to make that, that you were prepared as fans, not just you two groups, but individual fans were prepared to make that sacrifice to demonstrate your power was really I think that was I think that was really important even though you decided that's not something you want to continue I think what you did there was incredible it was very brave as well actually. and I think people need to understand what that means so that must have taken a lot of heart search you know certainly um soul searching before you even contemplated it it, it was difficult um we know that there's so many fans who have had to sacrifice us. People have contacted us saying they don't want to go to games anymore. There's people who are saying we need to be going to games. So we felt to keep both sides of the fan base happy, we would pack the park for a game where there was estimated to be over 6,000 people there. Um, I think 6,100 um, was what the club gave. But with, from um, other figures, we believed it was a little bit more. Um, and then to counteract that, but bearing in mind, just going back to the park, the park, it was supporters who haven't been for years sacrificing, not wanting to put any money into the owner's pocket, coming back for one game. So people who have always had it that they weren't happy with how the owner's running things and weren't willing to put money in, they sacrificed their morals by coming back for that one game so we said if people are willing to do that the other side of the fan base has got to accept that for one game you know just one game that's all we're asking for people not to attend so both sides of the the fan base you know i've got a say in it so we'd said empty the park as well um and it was believed to be around uh 1600 1700 in attendance yeah. which obviously the two numbers massively different and you could see it in the, in the ground as well I saw the pictures yeah no, yeah. I, I it was um, it was big and we've, we've spoken to so many different fans groups over the last couple of years since Push the Boundaries been formed we've spoke to Blackpool we've spoke to Lake Norian we've spoke to Swindon Portsmouth we've spoke to so many different organisations who have gone through the same sort of thing and none of them have really gone down that route. So we felt, you know, it's all right following the other fan groups, 
but we need to try and do something a little bit different in regards to protest. Um, we wanted to keep things relevant. We want to keep it in the national media because the national media is where the EFL look. If it's local news, they're not bothered. If it starts to affect them in a, in a national light and questions are being asked, they're more likely to keep a, a closer eye on it. So that's what we've done. Um, even to the point where they empty the park, they had five lives there. They never have five lives for older athletic. You know, we're, we're a League Two club um, that's, you know, second bottom of the league. There was, there was no way they were going to have us any other way. So, you know, the, the likes of those and um, EFL on Quest uh, raising it the last couple of weeks as well, it's, it's what we need to highlight the concerns that we have as a football club. And we, we feel... It was successful. We feel it worked. Obviously, not everyone backed it because there was still 1,600, 1,700 in there. But everyone's got the right to their own opinion. I, I think, look, you, you're never going to achieve zero, partly because the, I'm sure the club would ensure there were some there were some people at the match. Um, you know, I, I, you know, this happened when when um, after after our league place was handed. Um, was given away and, and people attended matches that season in 2002-2003 and you know the club were purportedly giving tickets away to, to as many people as possible um, so that's going to happen but the point is is and then that sharp contrast between look at what look at what you've got if we support you look at what you've got if we're not there it's a beautiful way of illustrating it and a really intelligent way of campaigning in my view that you you went you know, it, it says so. It, it talks in so many different layers. It's it's smart. It's a really smart piece of campaigning. So well done on that. Even okay. even if even if everything seems very dark and dim and grey at the moment, you've got it that, is. You know, to, yeah. to, 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 you need to you need to hold. My advice to you, if if you want my advice, is to hold on to those things and to reflect on them and to drink them in and to to realise those things in themselves are achievements to get something like that and if anyone tells you it's not they don't know what they're talking about I can honestly tell you as a long in the tooth campaigner in these sorts of environments it is an achievement to do what you did on both scores to to pack it out and to empty it like that so but that on its own and this is what people don't understand always about campaigns when it's about something like this is that alone isn't going to achieve what you need achieving which is essentially for the owner to depart um, and for a change to come in ownership and for for your I think for the I'll add this to for, for fans to be integrated into the ownership properly not just you know with a token director now how much do you look at this and say like Barry you know like well, look, there is the only the recent example. To be honest, I've now forgotten because there were so many cases of failure by the EFL um, to regulate where they were supposed to. This is because, just as a reminder to listeners, that the EFL is made up of the clubs. Okay, so stop blaming the executives at the EFL. Start blaming your own club if you've got a problem with the way that the EFL regulates because it's given that power by the FA. It's supposed to do that for its clubs, but the clubs are the ones who are making the decisions. But how much, when it comes down to it, you look at the EFL and go, "This isn't. These are there are areas here where you should be intervening, even within the rule, the, the, you know, the thin set of rules you've got. There are things you should be saying and doing that you're not doing. Um, and um, you know, are there? Are, you know, are, are, do you think they're 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 not doing what they should be? Do you think um, that this is just showing up what you know ultimately?" 
kind of the reason we we all know we need a probably you know an independent regulator of football. This is showing up the lack of proper regulation and the people suffering at the end of all of that process aren't the players who will be paid whatever happens and and um but actually people like yourself you know who who dedicated their lives to following the club and that you're just not getting any you know they did you know is there a lack of urgency there is there any are you meeting with the efl at all have you had conversations with them Hi, I'd just like to introduce you to Matchday Digital, the world's first football-first digital magazine platform, bringing together premium paid content from clubs' matchday programmes, popular football magazines, newspapers and high-quality fan-produced fanzines. What a list. It gives access to a bigger choice of content for fans and for publishers, a far wider audience than would normally be available through their own print editions or digital offerings. You can download the app via Google Store and Apple Store or you can use the native web app. Go to matchdaydigital.com for more. And if you're a club or publisher, drop MDD a line. They're a lovely bunch and I'm sure they'd love a chat with you about your needs. Yeah, we had our first uh, meeting with the EFL last week or the week before. Um, waiting on a, a couple of bits back from them that they wanted to clarify and come back to us with before we put anything out. Um it was more of a listening exercise for them on the first one to understand our concerns, but obviously we appreciate they're representing the football club. So they're never going to be very critical of that. Um, we just want to make sure that every single organisation that has a say in Old Mathletic knows the concerns that we have. We don't want any stone to be left unturned should the worst happen. We don't want to be the next Macclesfield we don't want to be the next Berry. we don't want to be the next Wimbledon we don't want to have to reform we want to continue as a football club you know as long as we are run within our means it's open honest that's all fans want they want to be able to have a club that is a family club, and that's what Oldham used to be. It used to be the family club where everyone used to go to and have a good time when they went there. At the minute, it's not like that. Mm. The, the club aren't bothered about the the way that it is for fans at games. I mean, we had a report the other week that they're still advertising the 2017-2018 football shirt in the stands. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just small things where turnstiles aren't open, they're reducing the number of turnstiles, which means that the queues are longer for fans to get in. It's not having food on in certain stands. It's having to use bottled beers rather than having anything on tap because of supply issues. It's, it's little things that mount up to bigger things that make people not want to go. And it's, it's sad. A of, it's a sort of slow hoddering out, isn't it? Yeah. Very slowly decisions get made I mean I'd, I'd argue that it's not often it's not even decisions it's just things get forgotten and then yeah decisions might get made like well let's not bother doing that let's not bother providing that that just compounds this misery in this general sense of sort of um, a slow degradation a slow sort of falling apart of everything so the the you know as I said I don't really want to go on about the owner too much but I mean the owner is central reason why you're in the position you're in because the decisions he's made and not made is 
is there any converse, is there any dialogue between any of you and him at all? Is it, you know, I mean, no, nothing at the moment, no? No, nothing at all. Um, pushed the boundary form, we asked for a meeting with him. Um, we sent a letter to him, directed, which was signed by over 600 people. When we first formed in the first week, we got a signet- 600 signatures on a piece of paper to say, we would like to have open conversations with you about the concerns that we have at the football club. Never responded. That then put out our, resulted in our first protest outside the ground. Um, we then did two fan surveys. Uh, the one was, the first one was about seven to 800 people completed it. Second one was over a thousand, um, which is a very good gauge considering we have season ticket holders of 2,700 um at the minute is what's being reported by the club so it is high numbers um of the concerns that they have for the football club um again completely ignored no response um it was only when we come around to doing our second protest that he um there was, there was uh, one meeting um that we had with him um early doors where he made certain promises. He wanted to meet us every three months. He wanted to um, be open with the accounts. He wanted to provide all the details to supporters. He wanted to understand fans' concerns. Nothing's happened. Not one of those promises has been kept. Um, Not spoke to him since. Refuses to engage. Fans have no other option but to then start up in the ante with regards to protest, you know, and, and really getting the message out there. So what? So just curious, you know. I want to try to give people an understanding of what it's like in these circumstances. You sit there and go through these meetings, and he promises things. Or, so you sat there and went through this meeting, and he promised all of this. What What makes you think that? Or what 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 Why is it you? Think, or do you Do you have a You know, in your mind, do you have a an idea of why he then goes away and nothing happens? Is it Is it simply that, you know, he f- either forgets, or do you think it's more that this is deflection for him. It's a way of just managing the moment, getting out the door, and then it's fine. He can then manage the next moment if it comes along. I think it, I think it's a, a, the, the latter, really. It's personal pride for him. He doesn't want to be seen as... He's a man that doesn't like to admit there's mistakes being made. Instead of going, listen, hold our hands up. We've got this wrong. We want to engage with supporters. We want to do the right thing. We want to be here for a long time this is how we plan to remedy it. There's nothing like that. He, he, he brought out one plan, which was 2019 to 2021, I think it was, where he wanted us to be promoted. He wanted other things to be put in place. He wanted fa- uh, fans groups to be engaging with the club. Again, nothing happened. He's gone to put out a further uh, yeah. fan engagement where um, a, a model of what he wants for the club to look at should have been released in October. Still not happened. Is it is it that is it that um there's no one there? So he comes up with an idea. This is something that quite is quite common in organizations where you find a leader or you know the chief executive or the you know the person at the top will say, I want this vision implemented. And there's no one to implement it. So you, you sit there throwing out these orders and say, Well, this is how I want things to be. But if everyone's busy trying to get on running the business itself, who's going to see it through? So you know, this has the kind of the look of something that's a bit like that, where 
actually if you had someone who was able to go right well so what we need to do is this this and this if you're serious about it this is what we're going to do and uh, you know part of me thinks it doesn't even require an apology because i suspect there have been enough apologies i suspect all it requires is that you start seeing stuff is happening and you go oh that's good well that's good that's good to hear good to see then actually when things are working do you really need to go in and start demanding apology well you could but i suspect if things were beginning to kind of improve you'd go okay well that's good you know we don't need to rub the guy's nose in it so actually in one sense he could fix this very quickly by just getting on with doing the things he promised to do the trouble Absolutely. is and i suspect am i right in saying that there'll be fans out there who say give him a chance give him a chance you know he's promised this stuff he's going to do it there's still people who say that still fans that believe he's doing it for the right reasons um I don't think anyone believes he's going to stick to his mandate of what he's put out there, but it's, you're always going to get fans who blindly follow the club, no matter what, because they believe that's the best way of maintaining survival. Um, obviously, yourselves know Wimbledon, Macclesfield, Berry. that isn't the case. It doesn't work like that. You can't blindly follow a football club into oblivion. And... Um, we currently sit second bottom of League Two. And you look at, you know, do we just keep accepting it and keep watching the downward spiral? Or do you want to stand up now and potentially make a difference before your club does does, does disappear into the lower leagues? And I've been funny, the National League is a very competitive league now. Very competitive league. It's difficult to get out of. You've only got to look at Stockport, Chesterfield, Notts County, Wrexham, teams like that that can't get out of there. Keep going. I mean, there's a, there's a list of teams you're on. Of course there is. And th th those sort of teams can't get out of there. And our um, old CA, uh, CEO, Carl Evans, who was formerly at Berry, uh, well, uh, very, uh, very decisive character. Um, at Bury as well and he advised us that they're trying to keep the wage bill at a million pounds now um, we've spoken to a couple of people within the National League and the million pound budget in the National League would fit uh, would have you about 12th certainly in the current in the current climate that wouldn't surprise me so you, you know out of, out of all the clubs that are putting money in our wage budget is 12th in the conference that's worrying. You know, if that's the mentality of the club. I mean, Oldham fans have never been one for glory. With a fantastic stat for you here, with the least successful club in the whole of the 92. We have gone 30 years without either a promotion or winning a trophy. There's something of the Rochdales about you, dare I say it. <laughs> Funnily enough, the, the, the club second to that is Everton at, with 27 years. So it's you know it's a little bit different, but, but it, you know, it, we are it, literally right? we're not there for the glory. No, and 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 this is important, right? Because actually, despite the fact that um the discussion, the debate about all this was rebalanced over a long period of time, partly by you know a large part actually by my organisation, my organisation supporters group, where we said, let's stop talking about on the pitch success all the time as that's the only thing that matters. And it was right to do that because you need to rebalance what a football club actually is and get people to understand that it is this institution and not merely a playing 
vessel for, for, for watching matches, as it were. But in some senses, some people have then misunderstood what that what things like the playing side means in respect of the long-term security of the football club. So, for example, you know, saying we're only going to pay a million pounds a year in wages, well, that's all well and good. But if that means that you're, um, uh, that if, it, if A, you don't need to pay that little, and B, it means that you're competitive, you're, you're, you, you fail to be competitive on the pitch and it creates a downward spiral on off the pitch because the business isn't, isn't able to, um, you know, it, it, you know, you're not you're not spending what needs to be spent on the playing side, you know, and and developing that side of it, which is kind of what fuels the business in many respects anyway. Then you just create, you know, you might as well be overspending and being a profligate and stupid on awarding contracts because actually the net result is the same. The fine balance is trying to say, right, well, we need to make sure we're competitive on the playing side without endangering the club itself. It's, it's kind of sweet spot that a lot of clubs have managed to find over the years. And that, it's sort of, it just strikes, it sort of looks like it's a whole sort of coming together of all this mis all these misunderstandings of how to make a club sustainable, of, of, of um, misunderstandings or rather a failure to follow through on promises and understand actually that when you say things, like engagement when you talk about engagement and you talk about fans you have to follow that through because they'll give you a lot of room but they will be on you if you're failing um, and you could avoid your failures and it just seems to be a sort of perfect storm of all these cock-ups and failures and lack of attention to the right areas i mean it, it's it's kind of if it was any other business you know you'd be thinking well it's probably got about three months left if you're lucky but, but, it's it's worrying mean, some of the, some of the stats that you know mm. that we've got at the minute. In the last three and a half years, we've had two winding up petitions. We've had um, over ninety um, players signed and have gone. Wow. We've got numerous members of staff who have taken the club to tribunals, um, employment tribunals. We've got um, the, the list goes on. We've got so many. Members of, I think it's in the seventies of off-field staff who have left. We've got players who have been. We've got a full squad of sixteen plus about four members of the coaching staff who have all been frozen out at some point in the playing career by the owner and the brother. Um, we've had season ticket sales go from when we got relegated into League Two, they actually went up the season ticket numbers, and have massively dropped down again. You've got. I think there's about 14 different occasions of where wages have been paid late. Um, you've had players come out and say sometimes they only paid the starting 11. Um, it's just, it's scary. It really is scary and not being funny. People say, oh, you've got an ulterior motive. I could not think of anything worse to do with my time than to be trying to raise the warning flags of what's going on at Old Mathletic. Yeah. This club is what I was brought up with. I supported it since I was a lad. My dad supported it. My granddad supported it. My granddad was part of the club many years ago. This is, this is what I want to bring my child into. I want them to experience the football, but 
unfortunately, this moment in time, it's not it's not the family club it was, and it's worrying that we are going the same way as these clubs like Bury and Macclesfield. Yeah, I mean, it is essentially, as I say, it's a litany of failures and cock-ups and poor administration. And I mean, I'll say this as someone involved in the Fair Game campaign as well as an advisor, I think this is exactly the kind of area where you know, a regulator will hold a club to account and say, you know, there are things that you might own this business, you know, it might actually be legally yours, but you're being granted essentially a concession to run a business with no competition other than that, which is, which is already there and has been historically there, you know, in great in your sort of area of the world. You've got an enclosed league of 92 clubs in a pyramid. No one else can start up around you. You've got some obligations because of that. And you need to you need to be held to account for it, and you need and you know and actually when you do it well, you should be rewarded. But the point at the moment is, no one can intervene here properly in a way to say this is actually endangering this institution completely. And if you continue in this way, there could not there might not be a club left at the end of it. Even you know, and it's needed. It's needed. They need a regulator. They need a regulator to come in and, you know, not take the nonsense that goes on. I mean, we submitted our accounts last year, maybe the year before, um, and then edited them after six weeks. This is the football club. Yeah. Yeah. And the football club, um, there was a difference of 200,000 cash in the bank. It reduced by 200,000. Now, not being funny, if you can't get your cash within 200,000, there's clearly issues, isn't there? Um, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, these sort of things where if there was a regulator, would be dragging the club in saying, how on earth can you get this so wrong? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Adam, I, you know, I, I, it's really important for, for me, it's really important that people, and I, and I think a lot of people do have tremendous sympathy um, and will want to show you support. Um, and I would encourage everyone to do that. But I want also want Oldham fans to understand, the ones that maybe are struggling with it at the moment, that if you, you know, from my direct experience and from advising f- clubs in crisis for many years, as I did, and fans who, who, were, who had a sense of total disconnection from the club, you know, the ownership was so distanced and they could see, the fans could see what was happening and they warned against it and tried to fight against it, is the worst thing you can do is turn against your own at the moment. And if I, you know, if I've got one piece of advice to every Oldham fan is, I get that you might not always agree with the tactics, but try your best sometimes to bite your tongue. Don't be too critical of the people trying to lead, lead this, because I'm afraid campaigns need leaders. Whether, you, whether you're sceptical of what Adam and his colleagues want, you know, whether you think or not that they want to be chairman of a football club, I can honestly tell you out of all of the cases I ever dealt with, I don't, I've never met anyone who wanted to actually run their own club. They only ever did it because it was necessary. And they might have become good at it and enjoyed it later on, but they never would have put themselves in the position that they were in to have to even make that possible. And so that unity thing is just really important and try to support the people around you because, you know, Dig, in, dig deep into your reserves and look back at that success of packing your packing boundary part like you did and emptying it. And whatever position you held, whether it was one or the other or somewhere in between, 
there's something there for you as a fan and as someone who needs to get behind this campaign. So is there anything that other fans can do? Anything, you know, I mean, I would suggest that they should be contacting you and offering you support wherever they can. I'm sure that's happening through the FSA. Is there anything else that maybe people could do? It's just about making sure the message is far and wide, you know, um, whether it be retweeting, whether it be just having a general chat on the turnstiles of, of your club about what's going on at Oldham. So people are aware of that message. And the more people that know about it, the more that's likely to be done. If we continue to just accept what's going on and it's just another football club going to the wall, then there's going to be more and more like us. We need to be nipping it in the bud now while we can and everyone just do their bit by putting the message out there that there is wrong going on. Thank you for listening to that episode of The Pod. We've got more episodes coming up, including a new one with um, Baz Schneider and me as part of Baz Chat, where we talk about fan interviews as part of your fan engagement strategy. We'll be publishing new episodes soon. Make sure you subscribe to us in your favourite podcast app. We're now also on Amazon. See you soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah.